Good evening, everybody. We are here July the 25th, and this is the 25th Q&A. That would mean there's been a lot of questions and a lot of answers, and we will never run out of questions. We'll be forever searching until the imperfect becomes the perfect. So this evening, we welcome you to the Q&A. Uh, probably uh, we have one more Saturday to go, 25. Yeah, yeah this is the final Q&A for this month, okay, <coughs> this month. And uh, we have, I do not think we'll be able to finish all the questions we have. We have a lot of questions, but if we don't finish, we will move it on to next week. Keep sending your questions. And uh, now before we go to the first question, I would ask again, Pastor, Vijay, could you please lead us in prayer? Father, we just want to thank you once again this evening. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy, Father. Thank you. Thank you. What an awesome God we serve. What an awesome God. Lord, that you said, ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened. Father, this evening, even as we, Lord, delve into the questions that your people have sent from all around the world. I pray, Father, that you would grant us the spirit of wisdom and revelation to discern the answer that your Holy Spirit gives. Grant us the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Put words into our mouths, Father, and grant us wisdom to be able to understand not just not the letter, but the spirit behind every answer. Lord, that you would, Lord, take the answer and answer the question and the questioner as well. Commit this time into your hands, O Lord, through everything that we do. Let your name be glorified. We thank you. We praise you. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So here we are. So we Pastor start Vijay. To, yes. The first yes. question. There are times when we walk by conviction, but how do you hear from God? Does God speak to you audibly? And a follow-up question to that is, people say we walk by faith. How is it possible to believe what you have not seen? I would go from the second question to the first one because that's the progression. Uh, they're both actually connected. Let me, let me explain to you. See, as servants of God, as we as servants of God, uh, it's one of the fundamental things we always have tried to do as a church. We always come back and we stand on the authority of God's word. Mm -hmm. Sometimes because of little videos and all, just cute, cute, semi-Christian, Christian videos, like, and then pastors pick it up. And instead of giving scriptural answers to life's very serious questions, they give smart answers. Mm -hmm. And people put 10,000 likes on it. It goes viral. But at the end of the day, it doesn't answer your real question. So these are questions connected with eternity. I'll give you, give you an example. Of, it's a very popular video which comes from, I think, Nigeria or something. There are these cute kids. Remember? They have these videos they make. They're very cute. They're very cute. A couple of kids are there. And, of course, the teacher in the classroom says, uh, there is no God. So... He says, how can you believe in a God? Have you seen God? Mm, one boy says, no. And how can you believe in God? There is no God. So this boy asks, replies, no. Uh, have you seen your brain? 
Have you seen your reason? He says no. So do you believe you have a brain? Okay, so he comes up with an answer. So you believe what you do not see, and so you are a, uh, you, you also have no sense, whatever kind of this thing, no? And people pick it up, and this goes around. But the end of the day, that doesn't actually answer the real question. Hmm. These are not real answers. These are not real answers. Okay, because today, you can actually see your brain. You can actually measure your reasoning capacity. Yes. So these are not real answers. Real answers. A person actually would like to know that I am saved. Actually. Imagine God going to the extent of his incredible love for man to allow his son to come in this flesh, live perfect die on the cross, rise again, and uh, just say, believe on what you cannot see or what you cannot experience at all. If you go to Hebrews chapter 1, 11 and verse 1, okay, there is something there. Yeah, Hebrews. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. See, faith has evidence. You may, not, you may not see it. You may not see it. Meaning, with your physical, material world in which we live it, you may not see it. But faith goes beyond the material world into the spiritual world and it sees it. Mm-hmm. When the word uses, when the Bible uses the word see, it's not talking about eyes alone. It's talking about perception. It can be your ear, your eyes, your nose, your smell, your taste and see the Lord is good. It's talking about a spiritual perception. Okay, that's what it is talking about. Now, if you go to uh, John chapter 3, Jesus using spiritual perception over there when he's talking to Nicodemus and he's actually talking about salvation. Okay, talking about salvation in verse 3 and then in verse 5. 3 is enough, okay? Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Mm. Okay. He used, and if you let's go to verse 5, he again tells us, okay, see, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter. See, these are real words he uses. To see and to enter, we understand what it is. Now, when every one of us came, we saw and we entered and we are into the, in this room. Now, because the cameras are reversed and the exit door is next to my life, so everybody who had to leave left before the camera was turned. Mm-hmm. Okay? They didn't try to break the window and get out and do any of this thing. They know there is one door and they see it. They entered and exited through this. And Jesus is using real terms by which you're saying that you can see, you can enter, you can hear, you can know. So the, so the answer to this question is, what is the evidence that you are saved? What's the evidence? What is the actual evidence that you are saved? The answer is there in the Bible itself, Acts chapter 2, verses 37 and 38. Yeah. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to, the, said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So you repented. You were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Is that faith? Yes. 
Yes. It's only one part of faith. It's only one part of it. But still, how do you know you are saved? So there is something after that. You shall receive something. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit is the person of the Holy Spirit that comes within you and lives. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. 13 and 14. In whom you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So I have two evidences. One evidence is outside of me, which is the written word of God, which I heard, which I believe, which I acted on. And I have internal evidence, which is the Spirit of God. Now if you go to Romans chapter 8 and verse 14 onwards, 14, 15, 16 if I am right. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out. Abba Father. Abba Father. Go, go try, go try get a Jew to say Abba Father. Go try to get a Muslim to say Abba Father. Go try any of any religion. And even of Christian religion who are not truly born again, when they say Abba Father, there is no conviction. It's just by rote, by something they learned in church. That's not what the Spirit of saying. Now look at the next verse. Look at what it's saying. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. We are witness. I have an internal witness. I don't have to prove to anybody. Nobody has to prove to me where I am going that I am saved because deep inside the Spirit of God tells my spirit, you are mine. That's a proof of faith. And that I cannot explain it to anybody. Mm-hmm. Cannot explain it to anybody. This is not explainable through physical, material evidence. Something that you know deep within. The Spirit speaks to your spirit that you are a child of God. And Nicodemus is not. Jesus is. And Nicodemus is not able to understand with his entire theological experience, he's not able to understand. So even if you are born again today, you are a child of God, or you've been in the Lord for 30 years and grown, the experience may differ, but deep inside it is the same voice saying, like I would use an example, like let's say, let me think, okay, today is, I rise a little big, let us say, Atira, no? Davinia or Evangeli, two babies, the two are the smallest ones, and Rihan, these are the smallest babies in our church. <coughs> Imagine Shrikant comes back from work. Okay. And Shrikant comes back from work and she hears his voice. Mm-hmm. She turns her head. Why does she turn her head? She knows that voice. She knows that voice. We have special needs children. Some of them passed away, some of them are there. You know. Now I may not go there very often, but I watch them every day on the camera. Now, if you may not know that when I go over there, because they know me for years together, Mary will go haywire, papu, papu, papu. You know, Mary is mentally retarded. Joy is dumb. She doesn't speak, but she will immediately come and I know exactly what she wants. She wants a hug. Janu will come to be carried and she will hit me nicely on the back. She's Down syndrome with autism. Okay. 
Sumati is autism and goes crazy, so she makes a racket. Danya used to be there, she was blind. But I know she can hear. So I whistle. Then I whistle, she starts moving all around because she knows I am there. Okay, Raku, who passed away, the minute I call him handsome, he starts smiling. That is his nickname. He's a good-looking kid. Okay, Chandu, I just have to this thing, and he knows it's me over there. Now, these are all special needs MR kids, but they all know from senses that I'm there. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, when they die, death certificate says I'm their father. Okay? So, you need to realize, in the same way, when you are born again, God gives you an external evidence. This is what you did, the written word. You heard, the Spirit of God convicted you, you repented, you believed, you were baptized, you received the remission of sins. But when that actually happens, there is something that happens inside. That's your evidence. And these two together, two together, the external evidence and the eternal evidence is your security. That's what it says. We were sealed. That's your security. And that is David's cry. Lord, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. That's a security. He knows his entire word. And he's praying according to the word. He knows everything according to the word. But he's saying, you know what? Don't take your spirit from me. Okay, so please understand, we are not looking for smart answers. We need to give people real answers. There is something which God gives you, and it is absolutely real. And that is the, that is the Spirit of God that is, lives in us and within us. And the difference is, as you grow in the knowledge of God and grow in the Spirit, the way the Spirit deals with you is different. And I have given you enough examples. We have five children over there. Smallest one is three, eldest one is 25, the smallest one is three, daddy ice cream. And daddy says, that's the way the daddy talks to the three-year-old one. The father talks to the 25-year-old as different, but the same father. So the Holy Spirit, the way he talks to the newborn baby and the way he talks to an older person in the Lord are different. So he gives this milk and he gives them meat. The Bible makes it very clear. But it's the Spirit of God inside. The Word is my proof because there is a deceiver. And the Spirit of God is my evidence inside. And don't ever go beyond, don't negate that. Don't give smart answers. Because smart answers won't save you. Amen. Amen. Smart answers won't save you. You need real answers. The real answer is the Holy Spirit. And the entire warnings in the New Covenant, I keep on saying, is connected with the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve my spirit. Don't grieve my spirit. Don't grieve. Don't grieve my spirit. That's my evidence. That's my proof. That is my seal. Yes, Pastor. So it's actually even in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 6, actually 4 to 7, you will see the same uh, series of thoughts, yeah. yeah. But four, four, Galatians chapter four, verses four to six. <clears throat> it says, "But when the fullness of the time had come, God mm-hmm. sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law." Mm-hmm. Five, yeah. But when the yeah to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. That's sons. what is the what happens, yes. yes. And then verse six, and because your sons, God sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, "Abba, Abba Father." Father. You see that both are going together. It's all going. It's the spirit of his son. Jesus Christ's spirit is the Holy Spirit. The same spirit. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. That spirit comes and cries out. Just like Jesus taught us to pray. As Jesus used to cry out, Abba, Father. We are also able to cry out, Abba, Father. Because it is the same spirit that birthed us. 
the Holy Spirit births the Jesus in the physical form through Mary and the Holy Spirit birthed us also. And the same Spirit will cause us to cry out, Abba, Abba Father. Father. So even when you die, Jesus, even when he is giving up his Spirit, he is still saying Abba, Father. Father. So once you know the evidence and the confirmation of the Holy Spirit, death is not. And when death comes, you will say, I give. Hallelujah. Going home to Father, I commit my Spirit into my Father's hands. And this is something very, very real. And faith is the evidence of things unseen. Where is the evidence? It's inside. The external evidence, the written word, and the internal evidence match. It match. So we are not giving smart answers. We want to give people real answers, and it's something absolutely real. Then it comes to 14. There are times when we walk by conviction, but how do you hear from God? Does God speak to you audibly? Now, I want to talk about this also a little um, we need to be very careful about it because this will come in one of the other uh, questions also, part of this question, is that God gave every man a conscience. It's the conscience by which we judge what is right and what is wrong. But conscience can be changed. Mm-hmm. It can be changed by input. And ultimately, the devil will cause men to think that evil is good and good is evil. That is what is called indoctrination that's happening in all the universities and everything. So your conscience can be ultimately warped, okay? But the Bible is not talking entirely about conscience. When a man is born again and comes to the kingdom, something bigger than a conscience happens. Even his conscience is now animated by the Spirit of God and by the Word of God, which is truth. So now what happens is truth, not right and wrong, truth becomes your convictions. Truth becomes your conviction. And you have two, like we know the five pillars, but primarily two, the word of God and the spirit of God. These becomes, you know, that's what Jesus is talking about. A time is coming when God will have worshippers who worship in spirit and And in in truth. truth. These two. Okay, these two. And that's what you're talking about. So our convictions need to be biblical. Mm -hmm. Convictions need to be biblical. Sometimes we we have to be very, very careful because a lot of people have very deep convictions and they're not even they're not even biblical at all. <laughs> they're not biblical. Actually, they're against the Bible, the Word of God, the Spirit of God. Okay? And sometimes when you don't know the Word at all, you can be manipulated because you feel so strongly. <laughs> and you think it's the voice of your conscience. It is not. That is why we have to be very, very careful about it. That when you're talking about hearing the voice of God, it's as simple as that. God speaks different ways different ways, you know, but ultimately, tomorrow we'll look at least this, un- probably if it goes tomorrow, we'll look at it, but one of the things is that you will learn to recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit. He speaks through us, the voice of the Holy Spirit. The Because the enemy can imitate that voice, the security that has been given is the word of God. The word of God, we are asked to meditate day and night and get to know the person of Jesus Christ. But the voice of the Holy Spirit will speak to you. And that's how God guides his people. God never expected, never intended any man or woman to be guided by a pastor. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Never. They grow and they move on. They grow and they move on. But ultimately, he wants every person to be guided by his spirit. And that is the voice of the spirit. When the voice of the Spirit, when your word, when your mind, convictions are from the Word of God, right. it's very easy to discern the voice of the Spirit. 
Because like I was telling the Nepali church yesterday, if you look at the book of Timothy, the entire scripture was God-breathed, mm-hmm. meaning the entire scripture was written by over 40 authors over a period of 1,500 years, but by the same spirit. So if you ask who wrote the Bible, the Bible says the Holy Spirit did. Mm-hmm. So when the Holy Spirit, when he speaks to me, will never contradict what he has already written. Mm-hmm. Already written. He has written. And he speaks. So my security is the written word of God. Because he wrote it. And he will never contradict it. Okay. A lot of people go wrong because the spirit of God told me. But even if it's a dream or a vision or anything. Now the last days are packed with visions and prophecies and dreams. And people are getting fooled because they don't know their word. When a man comes and says God spoke to me. And this is what the word of God has. Like today, I saw a video which was sent to me by somebody, and this is uh, about rapture and God's warning which he received. And he's recording this in his car, and as he's recording, as he's beginning, he's got a fly in his eye, and he's trying to take the fly out and telling the most important message for the last time, saying, come on, what is this? You're talking about how God spoke to him in a dream about rapture is coming, get prepared. And he's recording it from his car and he's not able to get a fly out of his eye in the middle of it. And it's how, if he's not prepared for a fly, how is he prepared for rapture? This is such a serious topic. And no, even if it was true, then you should create an ambience and not make it very light. This is a very, very serious topic. So I would answer those two questions over there. Uh, your convictions have to be framed by truth. Then, once that conviction is set, the Holy Spirit doesn't have to speak. You already know it. Not like Pastor Vijay, when he teaches Abigail math, you know, he's teaching our new things. No, he will not go back and say, two plus two, why are you coming and asking me? He will ask. You already know it's four, right? Thou shall not kill, Lord. Please tell me, Lord, I hate this. Can I, please, one exception, can I kill, Lord? Does anybody, Lord, I like stealing, Lord, please. Give me a word about stealing. Does he have to give you a word about stealing? So there are a lot of things, conviction has set. We know this is the truth. But there are a lot of areas we are not very sure. And there we need to hear the word of God. Okay. So the, the written letter and the voice of the Holy Spirit works in tandem. They don't oppose or contradict each other. These are our security. Yes, Pastor Vijay. Oh boy. There are some really important questions, questions. Your beautiful questions. I, I think uh, we should take question number 13 also, Pastor. 13? Uh, actually, the series of questions from that sister. Yeah, actually, that sister, I don't, I don't want to mention your name mm-hmm. because it's an open forum. Yep, I think probably you mm-hmm. go to question 9, nine and so we have an introduction. Thank you, sister, for your questions. Yeah. I've been listening to all the Q&A sessions almost continuously. It is helping me a lot. Just can't stop listening to all the valuable information you give. God bless you abundantly. I got baptized last year. I was a Hindu following all religious pujas out of faith. But I think I knew somewhere something was missing. When I came to Dubai from Mumbai, I started attending this church in 2017 and was getting convicted by the truth of Jesus Christ and got saved by His grace in 2019. My husband also got saved and he's growing in the Lord, but I have more hunger to know the word, which my husband is also trying to change in Jesus' name through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The problem often I face when speaking to my Hindu friends and family and sometimes even from other religions is that they also say their book is the holy book like the Gita, the Bhag- uh, Srimad Bhagavad Vedas, etc. 
So could you help me in this area, please? Is there something which you... Yeah, that is... Uh, okay, let me because... Uh, let me see... This is a quest, this is a situation which uh, everybody faces, right? Everybody faces. This is a question that is connected with personal evangelism. Mm -hmm. Evangelism differs. Evangelism in your home is a different setup altogether. Evangelism in your office is a different setup altogether. Evangelism in the street, it is different. These are all different, different setups. And, uh, one of the first things which I, I will, I'll put scripture over there so that you understand because this, like I said, we may not have time to finish all the questions, but some of the questions, like I said, some of the questions, like last week we had something that was very, very serious about eternity. Now today is also very serious about salvation and witnessing. First Corinthians 4.20. Look at the formats Jesus is talking about. The kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. Okay? Please understand this thing. The kingdom of God is not just in word, it is in power. Because what you are preaching is the kingdom of God. And that's why I told his disciples, don't leave Jerusalem until you have received power. When you receive power, things will change. Hmm. Because I cannot, I cannot convince people with my words. The Holy Spirit has to convict. Mm -hmm. So when Peter, on the day of Pentecost, if he had preached two days early, nothing would have happened. But when he preached on the day of Pentecost, after being imbued with power, 3,000 people, their hearts were cut by the Holy Spirit. That was the response. Holy Spirit did something in their hearts and they responded to it. So first thing you need to understand, the kingdom of God is not in word. It's in power. I don't have to convince anybody. I just have to stick to scripture. I don't have to convince because you cannot convince somebody from one faith to another faith by argument. Mm -hmm. Because then somebody else comes with a better argument, he will convert from that to other. But you cannot deny the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You cannot escape the conviction of the You will go one way or the other. Either you will run for your life or you will run towards God. Because arguments can always be buttressed with another argument and argument. So that's why the Bible says walk away from arguments. Okay, so... Second thing, you look at Matthew chapter 10, verses 7 to 9. Jesus formats, I'm talking about broadly first about evangelism. As you go, preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now he's telling his disciples to all his servants. When you go, preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He says, very, very careful. When you put against a cross the gospel, the gospel is the gospel of the kingdom of God. Don't make it temporary. Don't make it transitory. Oh, okay. Don't make it. And the power of that kingdom is manifested also. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Okay. Now in 21st century, the first three of that four, most of it has been handled primarily by medical science because of the wisdom God has given. Nobody, if they fall ill, is not going to run to the church. They will run to the hospital. And accept that. Because the advancement of medical science, medical science. But there is something which stops, that is the fourth one. That is where all science stops. Because when you come to fourth one, it goes to different dimensions. Science has no help. Cast out demons. Hmm. So always remember in the preaching of the gospel, there is 
a demonic involved. Always be open to that. Mm-hmm. Always be open to that. There is a demonic involved. Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit even when you are ministering. Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Now, so there is a power thing. Now come to Mark chapter 16. We are talking about witnessing at different levels. Mark 16 verses 15 to 18. He said to them, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. So he says, there is a preaching and there is a believing. Everybody won't believe. Then he talks about signs. Again, he brings the kingdom. It's not a kingdom of talk. It's a matter of power. These signs will follow those who believe. Those who believe are the ones who are preaching. Mm-hmm. So these signs will follow. You will cast out demons. You will speak in new tongues. You will take up serpents. They will drink anything deadly. It will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So again, there is a power encounter put over there. You take the power part, you know what? The gospel just becomes like an argument. You can't take, never was the power part because you are crashing with two kingdoms. You are trying to rescue people from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, from the power of Satan. But you don't have to say that. Mm-hmm. You don't have to say that. You don't have to hurt anybody's feelings. You don't have to say that. But there is a power encounter over there. Then, we come to the most difficult part, that is the family part. Family is the most difficult. And I'll tell you why. John chapter 1, verses 4 to 5. John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Yeah, Pastor Vijay, just read it for me. You know, while I In him part. was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. In him was life. Okay. Now, this is a different thing altogether, but it's all connected. In Jesus Christ was life. Whose life was in him? The life of the God. Father. God. He came in the flesh with the life of his Father. And that life was the light of men. That life, okay? That life is in so many ways. His righteousness, his holiness, his, and also his power. Mm-hmm. The kingdom of God is just not a matter of talk. It's a matter of power. And Nicodemus saw all this. Mm-hmm. And he's rattled. He's rattled. Okay? So, there is a life. Now, if you come to chapter 7 of John, okay, verse 3 and 4 and 5. His brothers therefore said to him, now Jesus' own brothers, half-brothers, depart from here, go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. If you look at their words, it seems like, oh, wow, they are really for him. But five tells you, even his brothers did not believe in him. Mm-hmm. So you need to understand different formats. The most difficult is family. And the most difficult part to witness in the family is simply because of familiarity. Mm-hmm. They know you before you were unsaved, before you were saved. And they know you after you are saved. And they struggle with that. So you know Jesus' family struggled with him. Jesus' town struggled with him. Who is this? Is indeed Joseph's son. Is indeed the carpenter. Okay? So you need to realize, let us put these two, the town as your office and, and the family. In the family and in the town, familiarity itself becomes a block. Your actual witness will ultimately become your life. 
your life. Because the witness of your life cannot be denied because they already know who you were. Mm-hmm. Okay? More than your words. So, in John chapter 4, let's go to John chapter 4. You will see how evangelism works. The first evangelist in the Bible there. John chapter 4. Okay? Verse 39. 4.39. Many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. It's one statement. You know why they believed in him? Because of her witness. They knew who she was. They suddenly realized this is not the same person. This is not a person who would have ever acknowledged her old lifestyle as wrong? Ever acknowledged? That's our witness. That's our witness. So you need to understand when you are talking to, like you come from a Hindu background, you talk to a Hindu background, you always also. And then I will tell you another another. Uh, important thing which you need to understand when you witness to any person who is actually genuinely religious. A lot of people on the street, they are not religious. But the genuine good people who are religious among all religions, to them you should ask this. This is if you have a very peaceful conversation. Okay, Peaceful conversation. You should have this um, I wouldn't say argument, but it is an argument. What is the end of every religion? What is the end of it? Why do you follow a set of precepts in a religion? Whether it's Hinduism, Bhagavad Gita, or Islam, or Judaism. Judaism was misinterpreted by them. But what is the end of every religion? The end of every religion is because at the end of every religion, they know there is an eventuality called death. Mm -hmm. And you want to be declared righteous. Every religion knows there is hell. Every religion knows there is hell. And they know hell is connected with sin and punishment. And because the pagan religions especially, and then, or even Hindu religion is not very clear about it, so they have to create this transmigration of souls. Okay? So, you have this question about righteousness. So, how is Christianity different? That is fundamentally what is different about Christianity from every other religion. Every religion ends with this attempt to be righteous. Christianity begins with you being declared righteous. Amen. In Christianity, when you have come to Christ and work, believed in the work of Jesus Christ, you never have to struggle to be declared just again. You just have to grow in your person as a just person. You begin where they end. And even in their end, there is no surety. Here there is surety because your work is in, your faith is, or your salvation is entirely based on the work of another man. Not your work. That's an absolute difference. Mm-hmm. So if you try to make into religious arguments, this is what the Bible says, this is what Bhagavad Gita also says. So we are not leading them to a set of rules. You are leading them to, to a person who did your work for you. Mm-hmm. Believe in him and then he will take over. 
it doesn't work otherwise. It simply doesn't work otherwise. Because that is where I said, born again experience is real. Mm-hmm. It is real. It is the evidence of the Holy Spirit. That's your surety. That's your assurance. Mm-hmm. You find me one religious man who can tell you who is absolutely sure about what is going to happen to him in the next life. You're not sure. Even according to their own religious textbooks. Even, even according not, to, none of the, none they're of the, none of the religious textbooks give you that assurance. Yes. None of them give you that assurance. No religious text will give you an assurance. Mm-hmm. Not even Buddhism, not even Hinduism, any form of Hinduism or Islam. Nothing gives you. Nothing gives you that assurance. And if people in the Old Testament, if they had the assurance, you will realize it's not because they kept the law. Mm-hmm. It's because they had the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It was our faith. It was by faith. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was not because they kept the law. Mm-hmm. Amen. Mm-hmm. It was never because the people in the Old Testament who had that conviction that I know where I am going. Had not, I mean, this guy who's goofed up is getting up and says he will not come back to me. I will go back to him. Where does he get it from? It's not that he kept the law. It's because the Holy Spirit says you have sinned. I'm spanking you the daylight out of you, but you are still my son. You're still, still my child. You are my child. He doesn't say, don't take away my salvation. He says, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. I am saved, but the joy is come. Joy is gone because the spirit is grieved. Okay, So this is the distinction you have to always make, that salvation is a real experience, that when they look at you and they look at their lives, you should be absolute. If somebody say, wakes you up in the morning and says, hey, if you die today, where are you going? Heaven. How do you know? You will never say, because I did, 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 no. Inside, daddy says, that's where you will go. Inside, I have a voice who tells me who my father is. I'm going home. That is your conviction. Absolute sure conviction. And beginning till the end, that's your conviction. I'm going home. So death does not hold any fear. We all fear pain, but we do not fear death. These are two different things. Even Dr. Richard will push a little back when he has to give, get an injection. Not give, but get. <laughs> it's not that we all like pain. No, but pain is one thing. Fear of death is one thing. We do not fear death. Yes, Pastor Vijay. Yes, uh, so we'll go to the next question. It says, should we pray for the rulers and leaders of the country during elections? Will not God exactly plan the right leaders and authorities? Will our prayers select the right leaders or whatever we pray God has already decided? His will always prevails, so our prayers don't help or matter. How to understand this? Okay, it's not just rulers and leaders alone. It's, it's you see, this is why God said, uh, uh, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount puts that incredible statement right in the middle. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We know it very well now, Matthew 6.33, and we know the scepter of his kingdom is righteousness. The righteousness of God is something people still struggle to understand. That God is righteous and he is always righteous. And he will never move an iota from his righteousness. If you come to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27 and 28. After he's finished all creation, the man's creation final. God created man his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Okay? So, the, one of the image in which he created man was the image that was righteous. 
Next thing he said is, he blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion. So the next thing he does is that, God as a sovereign creator and owner of the whole universe, gives dominion to man. It's a righteous decree. It's, a righteous, it's God's word. He doesn't take it back. Okay? Says, what happens is, in Genesis chapter 3, when the usurper comes in and deceives them, the power goes on to his side. He takes over. Because ultimately, whatever you believe is what you rule by. That's what controlling. We all think we are independent beings. We are not actually. Whatever controls our mind is what is dictating my actions. So what is controlling me is how I think. And when Adam was made, he was made righteous. Mm. But when he fell, the he became the arbiter of what is right and wrong. That was a lie he was fed. You will become like God. He was already like God in righteousness, but he actually fell away from becoming like God. Okay? So now Satan is controlling. And you know in the, in the, in the temptation on the, um, on Jesus' temptation, Satan makes a statement, worship me, and I will give all this to you. All this has been given unto me, he says. And who gave it to him? God never gave it to him. Who gave it to him? Adam gave it to him. Adam gave it to him. So God has already done something that is given it to man. Man, the first man, the first Adam, the father, no? the father of mankind. He gave it to Satan. And it's Satan's rightfully. Satan's rightfully. Because Adam gave it. Like my father sold our first house. I can go stand there, do anything. I can't do anything because my father sold it. It was his. Oh. No, I am his son. I am the rightfully. They'll say, go jump in the lake before I call the cops. Okay? So he was the first one, the only one. And the earth was his, given by God to rule on his behalf. And right, he gave it over to Satan. And then from that time onward, Satan has been manipulating mankind and ruling. But initially, you will see man, uh, you will see because he has both right and wrong in his head. There is evil and good. It's always a balance between, but ultimately the evil will take over. We see in Noah's time and that will happen. But when Jesus came, he's first beginning the process of taking back. back yes. But first he has to take back man, mm -hmm. one man at a time. Hallelujah. The price of sin has to be paid. God, that's why scripture says he's both the just and the, just and the justifier. We'll ask, is there any other way to save mankind? No. Mm -hmm. If you know God, there is no other way. If God is not righteous, there are different ways to save man. Because we are not righteous. When our children do something, we wink it. God doesn't wink over anything. Sometimes we are in a good mood. And I'm guilty of it. Sometimes I'm in a good mood and the child does the same. When, when they were small, when the child does the same thing, I ignore it. But to a man, I'm in an irritated mood, so a child does something smaller than that, you get go after the child. You know why? Because we are not righteous. Mm -hmm. God doesn't have mood swings. He doesn't judge by his mood. He judges by righteousness. That's what he is always righteous. So the righteous requirement of God has to be met. The wages of sin is death. Mm -hmm. Death. Okay. So for centuries after the law was given, the symbol is given, the Passover lamb, blemishless, and is offered for the sin of Israel. The atonement is paid. Also, all these pictures are there. And Jesus, in reality, becomes. That's the first and the most important statement John makes. Behold the Lamb of God. 
So his life has to be without spot, blemishless, and then his death has to be the price which God receives. That is not enough. He has to rise from the death, otherwise he's paid the price, but death was wrong. But he defeats death and rises. And then the gospel comes. The first part of God's retaking back is the retaking of the human soul. That's why they always, they were always interested in the outside. Have you come to restore the kingdom? He says, it's not yours to know the time. The kingdom, 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 they're always talking about the kingdom outside and not the kingdom inside. Jesus came first to establish the kingdom. So that's the promise in the book of Romans. You shall reign by grace in righteousness. First I have to learn to reign inside. When I do that, I'm exercising dominion. I'm exercising dominion. Okay? Now I'm not exercising dominion over the whole earth. I'm exercising dominion over my own soul. Mm. Yes. Over my soul. But now, how did, if you look at, how did Jesus overcome? How did Jesus overcome? You will see Jesus overcame by two primary ways. That's what we see. By the word and by prayer. By prayer. So the Bible will say, how did he overcome? You look at Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7. A lot of new people may be listening. And these are important life questions. How did Jesus overcome? Who in the days of his flesh? When he came in the flesh, he's being tempted like any one of us. Tempted at all points and he did not sin. Why he did not sin? How did he overcome in the flesh? The reason was this. When he had offered a prayers and supplication with women, cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, was heard because of his godly fear. So what death is he talking about? Not the death on the cross. The death because of sin. So every day his cry to his father is what he taught us to pray. Lead me not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. Mm -hmm. But it is not one line. He wept and he howled and he cried and said, Law Father, I am weak. You are strong. Help me from temptation. Help me the power of the enemy so that I do not sin against you. And the father heard him. Mm -hmm. So on a day-to-day basis was overcoming sin. Overcoming sin. And he exercised dominion in his own life over the world and over the enemy. So the ruler of the world comes and he says he found nothing in me. So he exercised dominion. So prayer is a fundamental part of us exercising dominion as God's representatives on earth. Earth. Yes. So God says, you may have a democratic process, but I select kings. And in the selection of kings, you will have a say. Yes, amen. You can have a say. You can have a Actually, say. First Timothy chapter two will talk yeah, about all, the, all, of, all, all that. No? And in the king, the Bible first says, "No, the hand, the heart of the king is in the hand, the hand of our of God." Hand, but how do we move the hand of God? By prayer. Okay. Therefore, I exhort first of all that supplication, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority. Now. Since we came into this, I think this is one of the part of the questions. Get it very, very clearly. As a kingdom person, me as a kingdom person, everything that is connected to my life, my life, which I need for a life on earth, is already given and will be added. Two things. Okay? Okay, we'll come, go back to this. We'll go back to this. Go to Second Peter chapter one, verse three onwards. Yes. Okay, we have to understand these concepts. So we, His divine power has given, what does it say? Has given us. Has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. It has already been given by which. Okay, and verse five will say. 
which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. God's own nature, how Jesus walked on earth, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So, you have to understand how when God speaks, he is speaking outside of time. He is not caught by time. Mm-hmm. He is not saying, uh, James, pray in 2021, I will give it to you. He is outside of time. So, when he is saying, I have given it to you, he is talking about the, till the day of my death. Mm-hmm. Everything I need. Now, he said something. How do I appropriate it? One, through those promises. Second, let's go to Matthew 6.33. Okay. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added. Okay. Now, it's been given to you, but it will be added to you in time. Okay. Like, let us say I'm a father and I have a, uh, my child is, let us say, turning 18 and I start an account for it. Okay. And I tell the bank, this is the way I want it done. Every month, on the first of the month, he automatically is allowed to withdraw 10,000 rupees. And that's all. Okay, I set a limit on it. But the money is there for the next 100 years, if he lives up to 100. Everything you and I need for life is already given in Christ Jesus. Where do I find it? It's all in the promises of the Bible. How do I find the find the appropriate promise? The Holy Spirit will tell me. It is not meditating 9,000 promises and confessing 9,000 each day without even knowing which one is applicable today. No. The Holy Spirit will tell you which is applicable. Okay? But what am I supposed to do? I am supposed to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and you will see. And that's the question Jesus asked at the end of the ministry to his disciples. When I sent you Without that purse, no, and a stick and a sandal, did you lack anything? And they said, no. You know why they didn't lack anything? Because the one who sent was seeking the kingdom and righteousness first every day of his life. Therefore, therefore, they did not lack anything. Mm. He was the one who sent them. So he was supplying all their needs. And why did he always, why did he never worry about supply? Because he knew what he was seeking and he only sought the will of God. It did not, it doesn't, Bible only talks about two times he fed a multitude. It doesn't say he fed multitudes every day for three and a half years. Because that was not part of God's plan for it. No? Like, this is why we say, if you, if God starts something in you, he will finish it. But if you start something in God's name, God is not obliged to finish it. That's where the hearing comes. So important. So when you look at it in this perspective, we understand. Now go to the prayer part. So in my life, I look at the scripture. I think of oh, there is thrift and stewardship and you know, hard work. Everything is connected. Let's don't think that you can lie in your armchair and confess and get all these things. That is not God's pattern. He's a worker. So put it all together. And after that, therefore, what is my prayer life primarily about? Therefore, I exhort, first of all, supplication, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, for what? That we may. We may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. That the leaders, the government, gives us a peaceful environment. Peaceful environment. Okay? First thing, I need a peaceful environment. Then we'll come to verse 3. Listen, listen carefully. 
you look at a Christian nation within quotes that is happening. Okay? Restrictions, primarily restrictions are only in worship. In worship. Now what are the, the, what are the people, the pastors, even the Supreme Court rejected? What are they basically asking for? Like, we will keep all the safeties. Can you please increase the number more than 50? Okay. Law should be applicable equally, right? So that is our prayer, our prayer. Lord, give us governments which allows. Like even in the, this country and all, there are restrictions. But if you look at most places, nobody is bothered. Crowds are there, no mask is there, anything. But they're always looking around for Christian places if there are five, eight people, ten people to stop it and find them and close them. What is our prayer? Please give us the freedom, O Lord. Leaders who will give us freedom to preach, to, to pray, and to live godly lives. First, we need to feed ourselves in worship, in the word, everything. Give us that environment. The second thing, we have to fulfill the kingdom commission that is preached. Look at verse 3. Mm. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of our Savior, who desires all men, all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Mm. How can that happen, to be saved? The preaching of the gospel. So our primary reason, we pray for leaders. And I'll tell you, God does answer prayers. Again, the sovereignty of God is not negated. Go to the book of Acts. Go to the book of Acts. Chapter 9 and verse 31. And 32, yeah. What does it say? And the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had, had peace and were edified. edified. And walk, let's have it in NIV so that you actually get the nuance of that statement. I sometimes the NIV you have is a Enjoy little different. Mm-hmm. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened, encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear. See, God will only give us the time of peace. He will not give us peace all the time, mm-hmm. outward. Because if He gives us peace all the time outside, we will be like Ephraim who settled down in his lease. Remember the two fish story? I forgot what fish was that. Cat, catfish and codfish. Catfish and codfish. Mm-hmm. You want tasty codfish to reach your table, you need to put a catfish among them. That's what happened to America. For a whole season they had peace. And the church went to sit down on their... Now suddenly they have woken up and they realize every religious liberty is being taken left, right and center and the church is powerless. They stop. The en- while the church was sleeping, the enemy came and sowed the seed. That's what, when men were sleeping, the enemy sowed. When the church went spiritually asleep, that's why God is saying, be always, even during time of peace, two things should not stop. Your prayer life and your word life. Be absolutely violent in your prayer life because you don't know what the enemy is planting. What did the enemy do? He planted those seeds in the schools, the colleges, in the universities and they took over a complete generation. Two generations, he brainwashed them. You see all the young people on the streets and they don't want God. 
they don't want God. In Christian America, they actually pulled down a statue of Jesus Christ and beheaded him. Will they report those in all the news? No, they won't. Because it doesn't suit their agenda. Okay. And we will say this happens in India and China and all that happened in America this week. I don't believe in statues, but I'm talking about it. They beheaded. And during this entire season of riots, entire season of riots, let me ask you this simple question for all the Indians and international citizens sitting over here. Did you hear a single mosque in U.S. being defaced? No. A single temple being defaced? What were defaced? Churches. Only churches. Do you know why it happened? Because people didn't pray. They went to sleep. They took that peace God had given for a time for granted. We are in a battle. God neither sleeps nor slumbers. The enemy neither sleeps nor slumbers. The church cannot afford to go to sleep. And when men go to sleep. So Bible is talking about why we pray for leaders. Why do we pray? Why do we? See, people, the problem with Christians, I'm talking, we're not talking to others, we're talking about Christians. Christians also, when they have the power to vote, they vote by their belly. When God said, I will take care of your needs, you take care of my kingdom need. What is the primary kingdom need I need? I need peace to worship and peace to preach the gospel. That's my need. And I have to vote accordingly that. If all the Americans who are believers were to look at each candidate and say, what is your stand on this policy, this policy, this policy? I don't want to know about Medicare because God is my health. I'm not worried about food stamps because he is my provision. I want to know your policy statements of these things which matter to the kingdoms. And if they were to vote like that, they will have godly leaders. But that's not how they voted. They voted with their stomach. Hmm. People Gentiles also vote with their stomach. And Jesus said, do not worry what to eat, what to drink, what to wear, because pagans, and we see paganized Christians, who vote with their stomach. Ultimately, what you get? Pagans as leaders. They will use the name of Jesus Christ. But a point will come when they know inside we got the majority of the population to reject Christ, then they will take God out of the platform. And now they have one party has taken God completely out of the platform because they know they got the majority of the people on their side. So it's what Obama said is true. Christianity is no longer... U.S. is no longer a Christian nation if you go by what majority believes. No conviction. Just a label. A label doesn't change the contents. The content should define the label. <laughs> majority of U.S. citizens believe in same-sex marriage. Majority believe in all crazy stuff. Abominations, what the Bible says. They all say we are Christians. Oh no, what you believe will define who you are. And that's what happens. So when we pray for leaders, the primary reason we pray for is not economy. We pray, Lord, our economy is connected to the kingdom of God. Whatever I need in this life, you have given it to me. I will live within the structures of the kingdom. and You will take care of me. But two things I need. I need peace to worship. I need peace to preach. And that is something which is called law and order. Mm. The responsibility of the government. It's not the responsibility of the citizen. The government's 
primary. That's the difference between conservative principles and democratic party. Conservative principle is small government. Create law and order and leave the rest to the people how to live their lives. You don't tell them how to live their lives. You create law and order. And in that law and order, give fair and equal opportunities and let people work and prosper. And law and order is, the, is what we are praying for. Lord, give us. When people say, India says it's a secular nation, it's not a secular nation. It's not a secular nation. All these nations we say they are secular, they are no longer secular. They are favored to one set of people. They are not secular anymore. If you have a free environment to preach the gospel, the gospel will supersede everything because it's the very power of God. But they don't create, like they say, you know, like you go to a casino. Uh, you will really never win because the odds are always stacked against you. Okay. So the kingdom of hell can never win because the odds are always stacked against you. Even the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Church is always committed harakiri. It has been. The devil knows that. Individual level, family level, and national level. Church has always been by weakening it from within, not outside. The devil knows that. Outside. So our primary prayer for leaders is, Lord, give us godly leaders. People who have more conviction and give us that peace for personal life, liberty to worship, and second thing, to preach the gospel. I think that was a long answer, but it's an important answer, mm. I believe. Yes. So I think there's a follow-up question on that, Pastor. It's question number 11. It says, should we pray for protection against persecution? Okay. But when the saint dies in persecution, isn't that a privilege as per the Bible? Then should we pray for protection from persecution when we know there's going to be an attack on a church? In a church? You see, let me look at my notepad. I have my little scrapbook. When you talk about persecution, persecution can be at a very simple individual level in a family when a person alone is gets saved in a family to a society to a national level can be anything. Persecution has two extremes. One extreme of persecution result of it is called martyrdom. The other extreme of persecution result is called apostasy. You fall away from, you deny Christ. These are the two extremes. Okay, two extremes. And most people get caught in the middle somewhere. So there is no one fit all for answer. You have to look at your situation. All situation. Look at Matthew 10, verse 33. One of the options that Jesus gives. <coughs> Who denies me before me, uh, me, him will also I deny before my father who is in heaven. So we do not have, we do not, we have to be very, very careful. What is my reaction to Jesus Christ? My persecution. Am I denying him or not? Denial here may have temporary benefits, eternal consequences. That's why I said we are kingdom people. We know what eternity is like. Denial can have eternal. You may be left out. I mean, all the, all the centuries recant. You are gone free. You may get a promotion. They may felicitate you. All kind of things. On the other hand, if you deny, if you refuse to deny, you may lose your head too. Hmm. Okay? 
and then what's the next verse? Okay, that's not the word. So where did I <clears throat> always get this? Uh, that's the, the next verse which I wanted to is that when Jesus said, "When you're persecuted in one city." Matthew chapter twenty-four. Okay. Uh, yeah, twenty-four. Flee to another. And he said, you will run out of cities. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he said that also, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> Where you run persecution, persecution will run after you. No, no it's not Matthew. Or, or Luke 21. Luke 21. Luke 21. Matthew, yeah, that's why 10.23, we put 33. I know that one little thing I will make a mistake. Ah, but 33 also was part of the answer. It's 23. Yes. Oh, Lord. Mm-hmm. When they persecute you in this city, flee to? Another. So if you're persecuted, God has said, it's an option. For assuredly I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. He says, you'll run out of cities. But what is the principle he's talking about? Avoid principle. It's not just avoid. Like we have to make it very practical for people because we I deal with this with people everywhere I go. So I I tell them you're going through um, this thing in your family. The first thing I ask you is who puts bread on your table? Daddy does. Keep your mouth shut. Ask grace, endure it. Or how old are you? Do you have a job? Yes. So how long have you been taking it? Is it helping you? No. Make a choice. Move out. Move out. Ask God. Move out. In the same city may be difficult. Maybe get a transfer. God will work here. What are you doing? You're fleeing from one city to another. You have to be very, very careful. You cannot take, you can advise somebody who does not have the strength for martyrdom and tell them, sit there, stand there and die. He may fall away. Okay. You do not put weight on people which they are not able to bear. There are stages to this. Stages to this. So sometimes Jesus will say, flee. They flee. And people fled. Sometimes you will stand there and you will say, stand there and take it. Right? You read through Jesus' life narrative. How many times did he hide himself? So many Let me show you one example. John chapter 11, 53, 54. <laughs> then from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. Therefore, Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there into the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim, and there remained with his people. Why didn't he? Why didn't he? Because that would be presumption and not faith. Mm. Though he had all the power. But when the time came, he handed himself over. So please always remember when you are dealing with these situations, it is not presumption. It is faith. You actually have heard from God. That's why I said you have internal wisdom. You have an internal evidence over here. Okay, internal evidence over here. And you walk by it. I'll show you another incident which is coming to my memory. Turn with me to the book of Acts. Acts 
Acts 8.1. And Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria. Except the apostles. What does it say? Why didn't the apostles leave? The Spirit of God said, you have the strength to handle it. Stay there. You don't move. Let the children go. Persecution is the same for everybody, right? The apostles didn't go. The people left. And the apostles probably encouraged them to go. Generals don't abandon ships. Get the passengers out. So it is not one cap fit all. You have to be very, very careful about it because persecution has been there from the beginning. When Abel was killed, he was the first one to be persecuted and killed for his faith. From that day, Jesus himself says, from the blood of Abel down to Zachariah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Elijah would one day bring fire from heaven, would destroy all the prophets of Baal, but God hid him for three and a half years. He stayed hidden, incognito, and nobody could track him. Why? To escape persecution. And the king Ahab sent people, soldiers to every town, city, country nearby to look for Elijah. They couldn't find him because God hid him. Okay, so when you are talking about persecution, you have to actually first know that you have the strength to endure it. So grow in endurance. One of the fundamental things in the kingdom of God, if you realize, especially with persecution, you need endurance. And over and over and over, Bible will talk about endurance. The problem is most people don't have endurance. And we don't realize, we will, we will, we don't realize why is Christians face so much trouble? Everybody will say, before I became, in true form, before I became a Christian, life was good. It was LG. Okay. But after I became a Christian, trouble started. Now why should be? Isn't there one of those questions? Yeah, that's yeah. from Egypt. Yeah, yeah. I had a question from Egypt. Why do we have to, when will Where, we stop? Why do we always face these issues in our lives day in and day out? When will this ever end? It's a question from Egypt, from the persecuted church. Question eight. Question number eight. When will this stop? Answer to not. But the only thing that will take you through the last days is endurance. And endurance, <laughs> I remember Derek Prince saying, the only way you will learn endurance is by, by enduring. enduring. <laughs> you know where it starts? In your personal life, in your home. And people run, they cop out. They'll say, Lord, why is my family not, my marriage not fixed? Because he says, you're not enduring, you're running. <laughs> you're not able to endure the persecution from your husband or your wife. You're expecting to endure the persecution of the Antichrist. I'm training you in your home. Endure. Endurance. It starts in the personal life, in the family, in the home, in the office. Through it all, you have to see the love of God, the hand of God, the sovereignty of God, the power of God. He's preparing a set of people. This is his sovereignty, like I said, two absolutes for me. The absolute power of God and the absolute sovereignty of God. Absolute power, nothing is impossible with God. Absolute sovereignty, He will do what He pleases. Mm-hmm. But thank God is a righteous, holy, loving God. What He pleases, He will be always good. Ultimately, I'll show you one thing that is a um, little unbelievable if you read it <laughs> in the Bible. Be believable because it is in the Bible. Okay. Uh, Revelation 13. Okay, this is the beast that will come out, okay? 
verse 7. It was that beast, okay, the Antichrist. It was granted to him to make war with saints to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue and nation. Who gave it? God. God gave it. Mm-hmm. God gave it. Who gave it? God gave it. And then, look at verse 10. The sovereignty of God and the free will of man. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. See, this all sovereign will have already. Here is the patience and, and the, the faith of the saints. That word patience is actually endurance. Here is the endurance and the faith of the saints. He says, I might let a whole lot of my saints to go into captivity. Go into captivity and endure. I may allow a whole lot of saints to die by the sword. Endure till death. Endurance. So you have to persecution in its full thing. The job of the church is to take, make a set of battle-hardened soldiers who will endure till the end and you will never forget the righteousness of God or the love of God because you are not fighting flesh and blood. You are fighting for them. So all these things are important. It is, it is, Easy to endure like a communist till the end and believe and die hard and bitter. Mm. God says, you won't get anywhere. You still have to love your enemy, the one who is killing you. (laughs) Righteousness has to endure. Endurance has to endure. Love has to endure. That's why in Matthew it says, the love of many shall grow cold. Grow cold and he who Endures immediately, meaning your love should have endured. When love all around, your family is shouting at you, your father has betrayed you, your mother has betrayed you, your husband has betrayed you, your children have betrayed you, you should still be able to love them and yet love God more. No? But he who endures to the end. So persecution has to be seen that way. And we have to prepare people for persecution. Uh-huh. The final one will be the worst, but every day, every single moment, God's people are going through persecution. And you have to endure. And you have to endure. So that's how you have to see the, that question about persecution, right? That was yes, the question, question, right? 11. No. And 12 and 13 also will finish yeah. the first series of questions. Yes. Why did God give power to Satan to do miracles like miracles in religion, like vision or dreams or different gods, acts done by some priests of putting hands in boiling oil without any burns in some religious functions, etc.? Why God allowed religions to... Mature, meaning grow in power so much. The reason for Noah's flood was the same as many had turned rebellious. Okay. Now, God has given Satan power. Okay. Satan power. I mean, the answer, the answer to that is found in Thessalonians. The, 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 the one of the best portions in the scripture. Second Thessalonians, chapter two. Okay, verse 5. I mean, actually the whole chapter is talking about how the Antichrist comes. Don't you remember that I, okay. Do do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things. Now when you know what is restraining, that's the Holy Spirit, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And the lawless one will be revealed. And the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Now, how does he come? Satan's from the beginning. 
The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs and lying wonders. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, the only reason why they perish, the only reason is because they did not receive the love of truth that they might be saved. <laughs> yeah, that they might be saved. For this reason, God will send them a strong delusion that they should be believed the lie. Okay? Because you look at the gospel according to John, Jesus' eight miracles are recorded there and every miracle is God called a sign. So, there are miracles in all religions. Don't look at the miracle. Look at the sign. There is a point in Roman. Where does it take you? Amen. A priest put his hands and then he says something. If I believe what he said because of what, does it take me to eternity safe? That's what I look at. I'm not looking at the miracle. I'm looking at what the miracle is pointing at. Because when he does this and came out, he says, believe what I am. Believe what I am saying. And people all fall at his feet and give him offerings and all. But I am not interested in what he is doing first. I am interested in what he is pointing me to. To who is he pointing me to? That's the key. No? So, show us a sign, said the Jews. Jesus said, one sign I will give you. The sign of Jonah. Three days, three nights. That's the only sign I am giving you. Because if that sign doesn't save you, no other sign, everything is irrelevant. So there is a power encounter. Please remember there is always a power encounter. Okay, There are three power encounters primarily in the old covenant which is replicated and warned of in the new covenant. First is Moses with the magicians of Pharaoh. And the names are given in the new covenant. We don't know in the old covenant it has Janus and Jambres. Meaning there is a power encounter and the gospel is an encounter of power. And you should not be, we say in English, you should not be scared to throw the gauntlet down. Throw Aaron's, Moses' rod down. You should not be afraid. That's why I tell you, I give them the gospel challenge. Go into your prayer closet and cry out without giving any. Lord, if you are the real God, save me. Call upon the name and say, Lord Jesus, I don't know, I heard this. If you are the real God, save me. And keep saying it. I give you, I give you that challenge. Because if he says, I'm not, I'm not ashamed of my God. I know he's real. Save me, Lord, and see what will happen to you. See what will happen to you. You should not be afraid. Because if, if the gospel is not true, it is not worth to stand on. And the problem with a lot of Christians, they don't have conviction in the Bible they hold. Amen. And Moses was not afraid. He threw the rod. Yes, there is also the, but what happened is those ideas, did not have, I, you have to look at it as ideas and ideologies, all religions, all ideologies, did not have the power to stand before the kingdom of God. Those serpents were eaten up, eaten up by Moses' rod. Right? That snake ate it up. And that's what Mark 16 is talking about. You shall pick up serpents. You shall drink their poison. They'll be poison. It will not harm you. Meaning, once truth has framed you, you can deal with any ideology in the world, it does not harm you. Because you know this is what is true and that sets you free. Mm-hmm. That is just a lie from the enemy. You will pick up ideologies with your hands, deal with it. It does not harm you. But I've seen a lot of people, Christians, who were not convicted by the truth of the word of God. They went to universities. These serpents came and before they went, they ate that poison and before they left Christ and went. You know why? Because they were not convinced deep inside of the truth of God. So there is a power encounter over there. So there are miracles there. The second demonic 
picture given in the Old Testament is when they come out are in the wilderness is Balaam. Mm-hmm. Balaam. It's demonic. Who will c- curse you for money? Okay, Balaam. Balaam is mentioned in the new in the new covenant too. Beware of the way of Balaam. Be beware of her. The third one in the old covenant is the spirit of Jezebel. You will see Jezebel is mentioned. Three of the old covenant demonic um, factors. These are three different ways that demonic operates against the kingdom of God. They are not the same. They are different ways. And the church has to know and live up to it and fight these battles. These are the only three from the old covenant which is repeated because these depressants, three different ways of witchcraft or demonic power that operates. So Satan will have lying. His wonders are real, but they are lying. It doesn't mean see Satan cannot heal people. Hmm. But that healed person never goes to Christ, never goes to the kingdom of God. So the sign itself is lying because it doesn't lead you to righteousness. A righteousness that comes from God by faith and faith alone. So you don't look at the wonders. Don't look at the wonders. There are miracles everywhere. More powerful miracles than some of the pastors do today. I know. I know. I've sat with them after they became Christians. Who were of a particular religion and they had power. Boy, they told me, old men, and told me stories sitting up in the mountains with them. They said, Pastor... I always will thank God. I cannot believe. Old man saying, cannot believe how he saved me. He still, he said, I was this first and I was, I had power, I had tantric power and the villagers all had to bring their offering to me. If they didn't bring their offering, that harvest was gone. I would call down hailstone and destroy their harvest and they knew I could do it. They knew us. We can do, we could do all those things, get the demonic activated and destroy their prosperity. So they gave us their offerings. Then when I came to Christ, I realized the difference. Okay, so there is a demonic involved, even till today there is a demonic involved, more than ever before. And we don't look at the signs and the wonders, because ultimately there are two powerful signs in the old in the, the closing of the canon and before that. One is Elijah brought fire from down, from heaven. The second is Jesus rose from the dead. You go and read the book of Revelation. The Antichrist will do both. Mm-hmm. He will bring fire from down and he will uh, he will uh, copy a resurrection. resurrection yes. But to the people it will look absolutely true. Mm-hmm. He rose from the dead. And they will believe it. They will believe it. And God will allow them to go that way. Mm-hmm. Why? Why would you? If God gives you into delusion, you are done. Mm-hmm. You are finished. You are finished. If God allows you to go into a delusion, no one can save you. Why? Because they did not receive, receive the, the love, love of truth. Love of truth. It's not just truth. We have to receive this consistent love of truth. Because the truth is the one that will set us free. And the word of God is truth. The spirit of God is the spirit of truth and say, Lord, give me the love of truth mm. so that and I look into the mirror of your word. You show me who am I and I'm constantly putting it away. I don't want to go into delusion. No sign, no wonder for me. The greatest wonder I will ever experience is my own salvation. The ultimate test of love is, is love of truth. Right? Love so, of yes, truth. Exactly. So ultimate really, love. And truth hmm. is a person. Yes, yes. It's I mean, not just a set of ideas. Actually, Deuteronomy chapter 13 verse 1 also is a very okay. interesting. Uh, actually, look at that. It's a and we'll finish 13 and stop. Yeah. Yes, Pastor, I can see that. Yeah, yeah Deuteronomy 13 1. If there arises a prophet among you or a dreamer of dreams 
and he gives you a sign or a wonder and the sign or the wonder comes to pass of which he spoke to you saying, let us go after other gods which you which have, have not known, known and let, let us, us serve them. But this is basically talking to the Jews, Jews. or going to Gentile gods. They are talking about the Gentiles and their gods and their priests having so much power. So what do you tell them? Hmm. No, you have to look at the power. Where is it leading you? Leading you. After all that power, you look at him and can he lead you to eternity, a secure yeah. eternity. Does what he does, take care of your sins. Can you walk away without a guilty conscience? You go, if you are a devout Muslim, you go on Hajj. This year, of course, it's not there. But did he take your conscience away? No. You go dip in the river, whichever holy river. Did it clear your conscience? Did he change you? Did he change you? The reality. So the reality we talk about. The next question is, how is there peace in unbelievers? Hmm. How are unbelievers who are not doing harm and reflecting the goodness everywhere he or she goes, genuinely religious and God-fearing, as he or she was born and brought up in such a culture? How would they know their gods are demons? How would they see the desire to know the truth? They will know the truth only if someone prays for them. How does it work in such a situation? This, 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 the, there are two sides to it. One is that if that person is a religiously, uh, actually a genuinely religiously righteous person like Cornelius, you will see God intervening. You know, and God will intervene. I believe God supernaturally will intervene in their lives mm-hmm. and uh, you know, they get an option. Not that he, because of the good works there, they still have to listen to the gospel. So Peter has to go there, preach and they have to believe. So he will do something else. The second thing you, you need to realize is, even as a believer, even as a Christian, with all the other issues, and if you got a lot of money, you can buy a lot of peace. There is a peace which is external, which also becomes internal, but which is not got to do with your soul. Like, let's say you have money. You don't have to worry about food, clothing. You don't have to worry about any of these things. You don't have to worry about rent. You, don't, you have your own house. Money solves a lot of the physical, material needs of man. It solves lot of it. Okay? So there is a lot of peace. Peace. Let us imagine two Hindu people. Good people. Okay? They have money. They got a They don't have, uh, most of them are nice. They don't have weird dreams and all about ostentatious living. They live simple lifestyle. They have enough for that. So that is okay. Was brought up in the strict uh, orthodox Hinduism. So they are righteous in their lifestyle. Kind. I remember my Hindu tuition teacher who taught me they were Hindus, such nice people, gentlemen and his wife, very nice, quiet, spoken, gentle people. Imagine such a man and such a woman marries, they will have a lot of peace in their home. No conflicts, no fights, because they agree on a whole lot of things. There are no disagreements because they are brought up the same way. So like I said, religion, the core part of the religion is good for the society, mm. but it's not good for your eternity. If you have an entirely Muslim society, which goes by the Sharia, there's a relative sense of peace in that society. Where the law keeps at least public life. They may fight in their homes, but outside there is law and order. You go to any Muslim country, you'll see there is law and order. Hmm. Okay? So religion creates a cohesion in a society. Because old societies were based on religion. Okay? But we are not talking about that peace. The same sister who is asking these questions, she, in the first letter when she wrote to me, is that, I was a Hindu, 
following all religious pujas out of faith, but I knew somewhere something was missing. Somewhere something was missing, right? And that's what we are called to do. Sometimes all it needs, you are very happy in your office, you are very good in your happiness, and there is a believer there. Mm-hmm. And he's got more problems than you. But you look at him, you know he's got something with you. That's what happened to Nicodemus. Till Jesus appeared on the scene, he was very happy. <laughs> he was happy with his ministry, he was happy with his own sermons. He was happy with his own life and Jesus came. And his statement is that, I know you are from God. Hmm. Okay, And that's all God has told you to. He hasn't told. He says, you just live my life. And immediately they will look at you and they will realize, okay. You know, let's close with that verse. There is in the Bible, no? I think it's in Corinthians. These are beautiful verses, okay? Can I have it in NIV? Yeah. Chapter 2, Second Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 14. First we'll go on verse 14. Verse by verse we'll go, okay? Mm-hmm. Verse 14. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. So how does, how do, how does Jesus take you in triumph? Now, this is all not physical. This is all spiritual. Because in physical triumph means crown and victory and five gunshots hit your enemy down. That's not, that's not talking about. How does Jesus actually triumph in a person's life in a public setting, in a secular setting? And it is his fragrance. It's his order. It's his smell. It's his testimony that's going on. That's verse 5. So, verse 15. Next verse. For we are to God the aroma of Christ. Among those who are being saved. And those who are perishing, what are we? Verse 16. 16. To one we are the smell of death. death. To the other the fragrance of life. Who's equal to such a task? Who can do with the same guy? One set of people love him, another set of people hate him, and he has done nothing. How is that possible? possible? And you've done nothing. You don't interfere in anybody's life. You just live the life of Christ Jesus in your workplace. One set loves him, one set hates him. He, he doesn't even realize these people will be saved one day. These people are going to hell. And that's how Christ takes you. So one set of people are crying and weeping for Jesus. Another set is saying, if you are the son of God, the testimony is going and he did nothing. One set of them are crying and the other set is saying, release Barabbas. What did he do? Nothing. He did nothing. And it was a life of God being triumphant. He says, you don't have to do a thing. Live my life by faith. Light will expose darkness. Is that what he says in chapter 3 of John? It's not because they did not know. Because they love darkness because they love their deeds. This is... This is why the Bible says the kingdom God is not a matter of talk. It's a matter of power. It is the very life of Jesus Christ lived. I mean, you tell me this question if you look through anywhere in the old covenant. What did Joseph do to, to receive all that? Nothing. But his very life exposed them. In his home, in Potiphar's palace, in the prison, everywhere. He didn't do a thing. Daniel had so many enemies. What did he do? Prayed. And was righteous. That's all. 
That's all he did. He prayed to his God. He didn't pray against any God. He prayed to his God. <laughs> and he was absolutely righteous in his day-to-day secular affairs. And they hated him for that. And God said, that's all you have to do. The thing is that because it is Christ Jesus, we can do it consistently. If it is my own righteousness under religion, it is not possible. And second thing, the other side of Jesus is when we fall, we immediately go and ask for mercy to God and to man. So they realize this is not the same man. Because they won't ask for They will never admit they are wrong. Hmm. Never admit. They will never. <laughs> they will cover it. And God says, you don't have to cover it. You are not ashamed to expose it because you know you are just. You are just. In my sight, I have forgiven. You are just. You don't have to worry about having uh, what impression on people. You know the only impression that matters is what does God think about Amen. me. Amen. Amen. You know, Amen. And these are things which does. It's that's not how the the righteous man's righteousness is all lived before men. Mm. That's what he's talking about. The Pharisees when they pray, pa, they make a big show and cry about it. When they fast, they will know this man is fasting if you look at it. He hasn't combed his hair. His face is all like mm. this thing. You know he's fasting. When he gives, he will make such. He will drop that thing, boom, into the treasury so that. And he will also wait for the opportune moment when everybody's eyes are on the treasury box. He will come and drop his. Because his living is right. But all his deeds are righteous. Praying is righteous. It's righteous. Only a righteous man prays. The atheist doesn't pray. Only a man in some way or other who is seeking righteousness fasts. Only a man who is somewhere other seeking righteousness gives. But it is all done not for man. It's for it's not for God. It's done before man. He wants an impression before man. And that's what God is talking about. Don't worry about that. You look your mm-hmm. you let's allow my life. You look at Paul. Why did they hate him? Why did even after delivering a girl from a divining spirit, he got beaten up. Think about it. Think about it. Somebody brings somebody here who is demon possessed and you help and cast the demon out. You get beaten out of it. And that's what the Bible is talking about. You know. And this is, you have to take it and say, Lord, I see this. Lord, I want my life to be real. Just make me, Lord. I want a peace that is real, that passes understanding. You know, and you pray, and how God will answer your prayers, you never know. You pray for your family; all hell breaks through, loose. Oh, what did happen? God said you prayed. Now what should I do? Now you pray over them. You pray over them. Let them experience the power of the kingdom through you, man. Pray over them. Let them come to the end of it. God, it's like the simple illustration in the book of Genesis. Ultimately, when the your we say in English, when your belly sticks to your backbone, that's famine. Belly is sticking to your backbone. You will come to Joseph for grain, and Joseph will show mercy. Ultimately, if you keep praying. God says, I will make your enemies your footstool. What does it mean? You will trample over them? No, they will come to you and you will help them. Because you have resources which they do not have. You are tapped in to the power of God. Leave people alone. That's the witness of the kingdom. And keep moving on with God. Don't worry. You just hear from God and keep moving on. Keep moving on.
Don't let the physical and the material stop you. And don't look at this false peace. Because if something that is happening in their life is peaceful, then it should be eternal. They have something that is inside that is eternal. That is eternal. That cannot be taken away by circumstances. So, you have to look at a righteous Hindu person who has a great peace in his family. When his wife dies, what happens to him? I have seen almost every one of them falling apart. Religious person. Doesn't know. Or husband goes falling apart. No? Falling apart. Then death takes place. Job goes. Child dies. No? That's the difference. The man of God rises up from the floor when his son dies. They fall on the floor when their son dies. Mm. That's the difference. Why? Because there is a peace that is eternal. That is not connected to this. Connected to this. That is, that it should, and the problem is when a Christian acts the same way like them, then we also are not sure. We grieve. But the Bible says we do not grieve like somebody who does not have hope. We grieve like somebody is going on a two-year journey, like we always have hope we'll see them again. You know, and that's how we have to see it. Otherwise, that's our testimony. Our testimony, our primary testimony of salvation is we have overcome death. Because all mankind in every religion is gripped yeah. by the fear of death. Amen. The atheist overcomes it by saying that there is no life after death. So this is the end. So I will do what I have to do. That is a bigger deception. But every religious person knows death is not the end. And we live like people who have overcome death. And that's the difference of 2000 years. When the martyrs died, they died singing. All those who watched them, so many of them. So many of them came to the Lord. Because, and who did it begin with? It began with Jesus. Surely, this is a son of God. They know God has many sons, the Romans. What? The way he died. Surely, this is a son. It's a testimony that's coming from the Gentile mouth. Not from the Hebrew mouth. He looked at him, he died. Forgiving his enemies, showing kindness and compassion and love and everything. And unbelievable, agonizing pain. He says, this is the son of God. This is not human. This is some human. So that's what God says. Your life, your death itself is a testimony. How you die, how you react to death. How you react to death. I'm sure eternity will show when Paul was executed. Centurions around believed when he saw him. Probably the last sounds coming from the rolling head was songs. And then it stopped. They didn't scream and howl and uh, this thing. They, they died singing. They died singing. And that's how Saul of Tarsus, even Paul beca- Saul becomes Paul because he saw how Stephen died. He was absolutely blameless according to the law, but he had never seen what you say, love and strength in the face of death like this. He had never seen. All his new old covenant history told him about Elijah running in depression, wanting to die. He knows all that. But he had never seen this love. Hmm. Love for his enemies. Mm. How he died. And that is what pricked his. Initial reaction to that is you become over-religious. That is because you are so angry that you want to deny this is true. So you become over-religious. God met him on the road. God met him on the road. He said something about it? Paul I will tell you. Paul was wrong in his thinking. He was always right in his heart. 
he always loved God with all his heart, all his might, all his strength, as a Jew and as a Christian. So God was the same, but his thinking was wrong. So everything he did, he did zealously for Yahweh. And Jesus said, I am Yahweh. And he said, my Lord, what did I do? So he took that zeal and put it all over back into Jesus Christ and his ministry. He was never wrong in his heart. He was wrong in his head. Now, always in ministry, one of the things I say, I don't care how your mind is. I will first look how your heart is. Your heart is not right. It doesn't matter how intellectual you are. If you really don't love God with all your heart, your mind, it doesn't matter what else you do. You're not, you're going nowhere. You're going nowhere. And I all really worry about Christians in my own church. It's not that they don't know. They don't understand. The issues with their heart. The issues with their heart. In their heart, they really, really have not surrendered. You get a look at man of God in the Bible, in his heart who surrendered. It didn't matter how many times he fell, he came up again because of his heart. And he looked like a man like Saul and Samson and all. They never loved God with their heart. So when they fell, they fell. And God could send the most anointed man on earth to him. They still won't come back because the issue was with the heart. The heart. So these two things are important, your heart and your mind. And in these last days, I'm telling you, the whole thing God is doing is saying, come to me with all your heart. Like remember in our churches, our weddings, what do we tell the newlywed couple? Give your hand, hand to each other, and your heart only your heart to God. And Solomon's wife mm. turned his heart away. Heart away you know? And you know, my constant concern in the church in 25 years of ministry is that when I look into the minds of Christians, they know their Bible well. When I look into their hearts, they're rebels. They're not just sinners. Sinners, Jesus came to save sinners. It's very difficult to deal with rebels. Very difficult. And Saul of Tarsus was not a rebel. He was not. David was not a rebel. He was a sin. He did worse sins than others. But he was Saul murdered. Moses was not a rebel. He was a sinner. There's always a distinction between these two. Look into your heart and say, and say, Lord, am I a sinner or am I a rebel? I tell God I never want to be a rebel in my life. You came to save, seek, save the sinners, not the rebels. Whether it's a wife or a husband or a child or not, look into the heart. Forgive me, deliver me from the sin of rebellion. It is idolatry. And that person cannot be corrected. Person cannot be corrected. Corrected. No? And Samson's end is also still self. Lord, why didn't he say, Lord, the strength has come back. I know I am blind. Restore me, Lord. Add 15 years to my life and I will protect your people and rule in righteousness. No, I want to take vengeance. Still self. God answers his prayers. And he killed more enemies. But do you have to die like that? You only lost your eyes. Blind people of the new covenant have done more than people who could see. Hmm. You see, even when this anointing, this strength comes back, he's still a self-willed man. Self-willed man. And we have to look into that because the core of unsurrendered heart is self. 
that you will use God's anointing at the end of your life also for your self-life. God gives it. God gives it. These are serious issues we are dealing with. Because we are reaching the very end of time. Very end of time. Where God will allow people to go into a delusion. What is a delusion? It's not the unbelievers. It's the church. What is that? You will think you are saved when you are not saved. That's the worst thing that can happen to a Christian. The worst thing. You will think you are saved when you are not saved. Because you see all this power in your life. Lying signs and wonders. Many came will come to me on that day and said, Lord, Lord, we did this. Your name, your name, your name. And he said, I do not know workers of lawlessness. Lawlessness. In your heart, you are not a sinner. You are a rebel. We are all sinners in the heart. In the heart, don't be a rebel. They were rebels in their heart. And they called him Lord. And they did it in his name. So these are warnings given to the church, not to the Gentiles. I think I've upset many of you enough for tonight. <laughs> I myself struggle with all these things. <laughs> we people like and not like us who are called like like us who are called to preach. We even dream scripture and gives us nightmares. That's why God said, many of you should not teach. You always ask, why did you call us to teach when there is such a strict judgment on teachers? Why didn't you call us to do something else? Why couldn't I give, have a nice voice like Peter and just praise and worship? I didn't have to worry about this judgment that is coming on teachers. Hmm? Many of you should not sing. You will be judged. He didn't say that. Many of you should not pray. You will not be. He didn't say that. Many of you should not worship. He didn't say that. He only said one thing. Teachers, your judgment is different. People, everybody think this is a relaxing, enjoying job. It is not. It's a fearful job. It's a fearful job. No? Yes, Pastor Vijay, we'll close with prayer. And all the dear loved ones, we shall meet tomorrow if the Lord tarries to come and gives us a day in the land of the living. Tomorrow, 9 o'clock. Indian time, IST. Oh, so can I just ask Add one question? One, one question. question. <laughs> His questions are dangerous, okay? <laughs> is it is it okay to ask God for another day so that we can be prepared to meet Him? You can always, like, it's okay because, ask. Because my, my, my prayer always is, Lord, grant me another day so that I'm See, all those people who actually said, like, they, they knew they were, they had finished their race. They finished their race. No, Paul's chapter in Timothy, you know, he died sometime later mm-hmm. after that. He's like, have you, have you noticed the 100 meter dash finisher? Yeah, no, first. No, yeah, that he finishes. But he doesn't stop at the line. No, yeah, exactly. There's a momentum. Yes, okay. of course. He goes another 50, 100 meters. But his race is finished here. Mm-hmm. And Paul writes Second Timothy chapter 4, 6, 7, 8. He's already finished. Is old, but he'll look for some more time. Yes, amen. He's mm-hmm. crossed the line. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rest is going by the momentum. Mm-hmm. It's going by the moment. Okay. So, let me put it in example now that because he said that. When Abraham tied Isaac on to the altar, his race is over. The rest is his momentum. Mm. So it doesn't count anything he does after that because he's finished his race. His faith has been made perfect. perfect. Not for Jacob. Jacob is on the last day of his life. Once he has prophesied, then only his race is over. Okay, you have to see scripture, then only you will understand it. 
So don't take two things. Two things, okay? <laughs> Everything is the same. Everybody's life is not the same. David, when he rises up and says this thing, bring my mule, put Solomon on that, anoint him as king, raises over. Because both are sons. But he will go by the will of God. And he knows when he proclaims his, this one will die. Ultimately, this one will have to die. He knows that. But he will uphold the righteousness of God in his last days. And he's finished his race. David fulfilled God's purpose in his generation. What was the final purpose of God in his generation? To see Solomon sat on the throne. He fulfilled it. Finished his race. It's not an easy decision for a father to make. Because a decision to enthrone one son who is one of the youngest would also mean the others could die. But he gets. So you have to realize, running the race, it's like, you no, know, when you cross the line, the spirit will tell you, cross. Peter will write a final letter, says, I've already been told, I'm going to put this tabernacle, this tent away. You know? So listen to the voice of the spirit, that's the key, and the word of God, both together. Because ultimately, we'll all be scattered. And the church in eternity, in human history was scattered. It's not that they, uh, the pastor held them together. The pastor's job is to take a person and lead him to Christ, Teach him how to walk with the Spirit of God and live him. So he fulfilled God's purpose. And this is his job. Only some will stay around. Most of them have to learn to move with God. Everybody has to learn. Because it's he's the shepherd. I am not the shepherd. My job is to lead a person to the shepherd, to see them. They know the shepherd. And then they go with him and fulfill their purpose. That's it. That's our purpose. Ultimately, everybody one-on-one needs to know Christ and the Holy Spirit. Then it doesn't matter where you are put. Isolation, labor camp, you'll come through. You don't need a pastor. You don't need a church. You don't need it because you have learned as many as are led by the Spirit of God are the mature sons of God. That's the Greek word. They're the mature sons of God. You don't need anybody. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you, Lord. We just thank you. You are an awesome, awesome God, Lord. Only you would have stretched forth your hand and saved us. Who are we, Lord? But in your sovereignty, even before the foundation of the world was laid, you chose us in Christ Jesus. Mm. We just, all we can do is just bow down and worship you, Lord. We ourselves would have never chosen us for the kingdom. Mm. Only you could have chosen, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. In these days and the journey ahead, I pray, Father, above all, deal with our hearts. Everyone who are hearing today will hear. Pray, Lord, in the church, those who are hearing, will deal with rebellion in our hearts. And we, we may be sinners who you will save to the uttermost. None of us are ever called rebels in the kingdom. Help us, Lord, to hearken to the voice of your Holy Spirit daily. Repent and continue walking, Lord. Commit all the dear ones, young and old, new believers, old believers, all into their hands. You love them. You chose them in difficult and terrible times of the pandemic. You chose so many. Chose so many. You chose them. Let them be assured of that fact. You chose us. Let them walk with the one who chose them. Let them learn to read every situation in life through the eyes of the Spirit. 
praise you, worship you, pray, meditate upon the word, allow Christ to live his life through us. Thank you, thank you, Father. Go with us, go before us. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.